Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today we have with us Chip Cole who has brought to Kickstarter a game called Cryptid Cafe. How are you doing today, Chip? Doing great, Wes. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And you have a company called Squatchy Games, which is kind of represented by a Sasquatch, which is actually what's on the cover of your Kickstarter cover image there. So that's pretty cool. Can you tell us a little bit about Cryptid Cafe? Yeah, so um, Cryptid Cafe is, um, as far as the game's concerned, you're basically the Sasquatch servers, and your goal is to collect these menu items from our Kraken Chef and serve these unique customers that come from around the world, which are cryptids. Um, and so over the course of the game, as you're serving them, you're earning tips from these cryptids. And um, each round, these these customers will slowly get a little more agitated as they have to wait for their food. Eventually, they'll walk out of the restaurant, and that'll cost you some money. Um, you'll run into some events where maybe some food items won't be available to you, or it's a rush hour and the cryptids are moving down the satisfaction tracker fast faster. And um, basically, after all of that, roughly eight to ten rounds, depending on how many players you're playing, whoever has the most tips wins. Very cool. I, I didn't actually realize what the word cryptid was until I read about your game. And cryptid is a term to describe strange mythical creatures of different kinds, whether it's the Loch Ness Monster or the Koopa Chabra or whatever other creatures that show up in your game. So I thought it was pretty cool how you made a cafe catered to that kind of audience in this humorous setting. So well done. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. The the distinction being that cryptids are deemed possible. So it's uh-huh. not like we would do, hey, we're going to do a Sphinx or we're going to do a Minotaur or, you know, Cthulhu, or that kind of thing. So these are deemed like they're actual possible sightings. There might be some scientific evidence behind them. So there's a they're kind of bridged that gap between true mythological creatures and, you know, your average dog next door. They're just kind of that in between of they are definitely possible, but maybe they're not at the same time. So that's right. kind of the definition that we have to follow when we were picking out our creatures for the game. Yeah, so you can just pull out a, a three-headed dog or a giant dragon. It had to be something right. that was rumored in real life at some point in time exactly exactly right on now this game you have funded almost fifty thousand dollars it's at 48988 right now couldn't be much closer and you have about 63 hours to go at the time of this recording i might be able to get this to air just in time for the, to hit that last 48 hours we'll see how the timeline goes you've had 1200 people support you so far so just yeah. congratulations on that so far this is your first official game and it's a relaunch which we'll talk about in a bit here but i really love how far you've come along with this as a first game under your belt from squatchy games so what made you decide that you wanted to make a board game and then find and, and launch it on kickstarter um so i've always had a love of board games uh, my parents were very great at exposing us to games early on when we were kids like we didn't play monopoly i mean we played monopoly but those weren't our limitations we actually played like feudal acquire uh the original dark tower so i grew up with very advanced games when i was a kid and we're talking like eight nine years old uh which was awesome so i had a much deeper appreciation for some of those larger thinking games um and then so there was already a love instilled and then you know the video game era came along and nintendo and sega and all that stuff and i kind of lost 
touch with that. Um, and then a friend of ours introduced us to Ticket to Ride, uh, and it just completely reignited that fire for those board games. And I forgot how fun it was to sit around a table and, and just, you know, shoot the breeze playing this game and being a little bit thinky and just loving all of it and just that whole experience. And most of the time when I play, as much as I like to win, I'm just there to hang out with people and play the game and truly enjoy it. So um, my background is in graphic design and illustration, and I work for a lot of different marketing firms for like the last 22 years. And eventually, um, after my third layoff, I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to sit there and slave for someone else or, you know, put all this effort into generally products that I wasn't, you know, like in love with. Uh, I just decided, you know, it's time for me to just take my skills and put it into something that I really have a passion about. And it coincided with being, you know, reintroduced to Ticket to Ride and stuff in that industry. And I was like, I think I'm going to do this. And so, uh, yeah, we just started tooling around. So as I continue to do freelance design and stuff, um, these ideas started coming about. And yeah, that was kind of it. I was like, you know what? We're doing this. We're going we're gonna to make a company. We're going to go for it. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, I mean, the game looks very classy, very, the, the graphic design, you can tell that some professional work is at play here, and it's great to see that it's from yourself, uh, the mm-hmm. design of your boards, the design of the Kraken, uh, the design of the cards, all very elegant, so I like what you've done there, and it looks like it's going to have a very family-friendly presence, even though it's yeah. about some dangerous creatures that may or may not exist. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing I always like to, to learn about is the budgeting aspect of Kickstarter. Everybody has different concepts of how much money they should ask for. What I found curious about yours was that your original game, Harry's Place, you had requested um, 11000 for, and most people, when they do a relaunch, actually lower it because they're worried that they won't fund. But you swung the other way. You actually increased it to 15000 to raise. I was curious what brought you to come to that as the defined budget for your game. Yeah, yeah. Um... And I, I had people tell me that I might want, want to go lower so that I can actually fund. But um, the reality is, you know, if I knew that we needed to raise the funds in order to get this produced, there was no, there wasn't much room for, okay, if we fall short, we can pull it out of the bank. It, that just isn't possible. I, I have a ton of kids, so, you know, everything's <laughs> always stretched to the limit. So I wanted to make sure that uh, when we hit our goal, we knew we were going to be able to produce the game. And so, with Harry's Place, um, it was definitely a little bit cheaper, and some of the components weren't as advanced, and we didn't have as many stretch goals in mind that we were going to try to do. So we set the budget a little bit lower, and it included, like, you know, the manufacturing, freight, taxes, Kickstarter fees, and so forth. And um, it was pretty much on target. It was probably off by a little bit, but not much. And then when we came around and did Harry's Place, um, the game does have a little bit more to it you know we've got some die cut really customized boards um it's a little bit bigger than harry's place was originally going to be um and then we knew we had some stretch goals that we wanted to make sure we hit uh, even with just regular funding like we would have been able to include them so that's where we came up with that new number and we did get people commenting like wow you're asking for more this time around you failed the first time and i think part of that was our confidence going in the second time around we had done a lot more things to fix the issues that were with Harry's Place. Now, failing at Harry's Place was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to us. We really sat back and reevaluated everything we did, spoke with industry peers uh, about, hey, what would you do differently? What, what did we 
what kind of mark did we miss or uh, where do you see it as um, failing? And yeah, we, we learned from them and did our best to correct those situations. And yeah, it worked out. Yeah, that's excellent. I love how you um, really incorporated those ideas into the relaunch. And I know I, I saw some of the social media posts that you put about, out about Harry's Place and really took it to heart from the, the graphic design, the, the title of the game, the concept of the meeples, all really evolved in that phase. And you actually shut down your prior campaign just in time to put, put a new placeholder image that says Harry's Place is closed for remodeling. So I thought that was, I've never seen that done before. I follow all kinds of Kickstarters, including relaunches. So really well done there. Um, yeah, thank you. Now, when you did the relaunch, like you said, you talked about trying to plan ahead for stretch goals and really uh, budget for the fact that you wanted to make sure you hit those. So how did you decide what those stretch goals should be and how complex are they going to make it for you to produce your game when you're done? Um, so I work, as a company or personally, um, I'm not a big fan of content stretch goals. I feel like if there's a game... I, th I feel like all the content should be in a game. It shouldn't be held hostage. It's like, oh, we're going to get this extra card or we're going to get this extra um, something or another, right? That that should have probably been included in the first place. So when we approached our stretch goals, it was all about um, components, just making the making the game better from a production value, um, with the exception probably of the fifth player. Um, the only reason why we held the fifth player as a stretch goal is um we wanted to make sure that we can keep the budget at that 15,000 mark and by adding that fifth player in it added it, it took us a little bit higher than we thought we could possibly reach in the first 48 hours so we did hold we did hold that one out but even then that wasn't entirely content based you know it didn't have an effect on the story or the arc uh it just added the ability to have more players so we were okay with that but like I didn't want to hold out specific customers or or specific specific mechanics um in the game so really again we just focused on making sure that the components were going to be the upgrades so we just kind of work our way like okay well, we've got this priced at basically bare bottom this is what we need to do to get it funded and and turned into an actual game what would we like to improve and so you know we started getting into well, i would like to have you know thicker player boards thicker main board and it would be great if we could actually, you know, screen print on our on our servers, and um, you know, if we could do, we ended up actually doing two versions this time around. So like Harry's Place only had one version, and then Cryptic Cafe, we've actually got the deluxe versus retail. Um, yeah. So when we were coming up with the pricing, we we're like, well, I want to have wooden tokens, and I really wanted to have tokens very similar to um, creature comforts right there they they were a campaign that just ended prior to us launching and man i just absolutely loved their tokens they're just gorgeous but we couldn't come up with a design that reflected the art that we have so we have very unique um designs on our foods right and they're very elaborate and so there was no way of bringing those down to like line art very similar to creature um, creature comforts so we ended up doing uh discovering uh heat transfer printing. And so that's when we added the heat transfer pr uh, printing to the wooden tokens and the deluxe edition. Um, so again, all of that is relating to just improving the feel because um, I like games that have that presence on a table um, and, and you, everything feels solid and the meeples are nice and large and mm -hmm. you know, the cards are nice and, you know, whether, 
we ended up not doing linen in, uh, on the cards, now that I think about it, and that part of that was because we didn't want it to inhibit the artwork. I've noticed that if cards have linen on them, uh, it can sometimes make the artwork not as shine as well. It just becomes, there's just something about it. So we ended up not doing linen, and that was a conscious choice of not doing that. But again, to answer your questions, uh, all of our stretch goals were just based off improving the production quality of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like you've hit them all. So everything that you had on your page is achieved. I'm not going to have any secret one pop out at the end, but uh, great to see that you've had that accomplished. Now, when you um, are trying to launch a game, there's often some kind of social influence that you need, whether it's a testament of people who've played the game or the videos that are done while the campaign's just launching. And I noticed during Harry's Place, you had the Hungry Gamer and Board Game Reviews, but on your relaunch, there's no actual formal videos attached. Was that... Uh, intentional or did you have plans to have videos that just didn't pan out that would be um that'd be one of the things that i would go back and do differently so there's a few things on this campaign that i would definitely do differently um we all that time was spent from harry's place closing to creating cryptic cafe was just spent redoing all the artwork rethinking you know um where it might have fallen short mechanics and that's actually the event cards came out of that and so I think when Harry's Place ended, that was at the end of August. And so we launched at the end of, when did we launch? We launched at the end of January. So that's like within a four and a, about a four and a half month turnaround for all the yeah. art and everything, which was, you know, insane. Um, <laughs> and so in that time, uh, I thought it'd be a cost savings to try and make my own um, uh, prototypes, which I will never, ever, ever do again. <laughs> I will definitely pay to have those made. And so it would be like I was working on these prototypes, and then there would be a delay. I, I had to do something else. And it just took forever to get the prototypes out. And they actually didn't go out till we had already launched. And yeah. so um, a lot of these reviews came in mid-campaign, which... And in hindsight, I think was actually a great idea. Um, and so that would actually be something I might consider in the future rather than just having all the reviews up front and ready to go on launch day. Uh, I would probably definitely space them out again. You know, have some arrive, you know, within the first 48 hours, have some arrive mid campaign. Uh, we had to slump like most people do, but we definitely saw some upticks every time a review came out in the middle of the campaign, which was nice. Yeah, so you kind of had some some wins and losses there. Good that you were able to get those mid-campaign reviews. Bad that you had to put them together yourself and, and suffer through that. But um, yeah. <laughs> like any, any first creation, it's things that you learn from. So yeah, um, that's definitely. great. So what would you say, you know, you, you don't have a ton of video content. What do you think is what's driving the most traffic to your campaign to go from a $5,000 campaign in your Harry's Place to a $50,000 campaign now or pretty close to it? What was the biggest step change to get that traffic moving? A lot of legwork in the beginning prior to actually launching. So we had not built a really good um, community around the game or audience, let's just say. So we did those three things differently. We were much more engaged in the game groups. Uh, we were asking for feedback. We were having people decide on elements that were actually going to be in the game prior to even launching. We were having people name um, some of our uh, menu items helping us with direction, like do these cryptids feel like they're within the environment? So we, we were definitely more involved in the groups um, 
with the sense that we were asking for feedback we weren't selling we really wanted them to give us their opinion so that we can include it um so that was big and then um facebook advertising and uh we worked on our email list as well so prior to launching we we directed everyone to our landing page um to collect uh emails addresses and so we had very very um targeted advertising and it was just extreme like we weren't hitting just you know kickstarter board games uh these audience were uh audience builds if you will on facebook were very very targeted and um the conversion was amazing in doing that so we would definitely approach that i mean we were getting i want to say 50 cent leads like versus what versus like a dollar or two dollars a lead and we were able to grow our list from uh, 100 people at the beginning of December from when we launched to over a thousand people in the span of two months. And they were, yeah, there was intense and they were all really into the, the, um, because of our, how our audience was built, we knew that they were going to be very interested in this game. So it was really cool being able to launch with a thousand people on our list at the beginning of the, of the launch. Uh, and I think that played a huge factor. And then uh, we did obviously some advertising during that first 48 hours, actually first nine days, I think we did, uh, that was still targeting those people. But then obviously we, we redirected them to the Kickstarter page versus our landing page. Um, so between those three things, that those they made a night and day difference. Obviously the visuals were much better and we had a much better product, I think, uh, this time around. But that was huge in getting us funded in that first 30 hours. Fantastic. So getting involved in Facebook groups and yeah. social media to get some feedback, doing targeted Facebook advertisements really helped you boost your emails, and then just managing your emails so that you could send out to those thousand people or more um, mm-hmm. on your launch day. So really good advice there. Thank you, Chip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next up, Chip, let's talk about the comments. I noticed in Harry's Place you had only about 23 comments throughout the whole campaign, but in Cryptid Cafe, you've got over 500 or almost 500 comments. What is it like to keep up with that many people asking questions or challenging the game or just thanking you for bringing the game to Kickstarter? Um, so Harry's Place was you know, pretty much dead in water after the first 48 hours, and I didn't comment on it, and pretty much no one else did. We just kind of let it ride to see what the effect would be. Um, this time around, uh, the excitement was vastly different i mean people were just really loving it and making comments about the art um there's it would be something a, a lot of questions a lot of questions that i probably should have put in an faq and that would be one of the things that you know i would fix this next time around was have a better job at managing my faq mm-hmm. um, so a lot of questions about uh international shipping is it going to be eu friendly um and, and so forth like that but uh it's been cool seeing the excitement i mean people just sometimes just get on and say i love this game i can't wait to play it and that's the end of it and it that's an awesome feeling or when they say this artwork is amazing um that's an awesome feeling because I, I really don't put a lot of my artwork out there uh, so getting that kind of feedback has been really really awesome uh and you know feel good moments if you will um it's been from a management standpoint uh, i think the faqs would have helped out a little bit better uh but at the same time um, I've liked the personal interaction. I've liked being able to answer people and get back to them relatively quickly. I mean, sometimes it's been 12 hours or later, uh, but I liked that interaction, that conversation. So that's been kind of neat. 
at the same time, which I may have not gotten had I had all these FAQs already in place. Uh, so it's kind of like this uh, catch-22 thing. I want to talk to everyone, but, you know, is there enough time to talk to everyone? And so it's just finding that right balance. But so far, I've enjoyed it tremendously. Awesome. Yeah, it looks like uh, a lot of the comments that are, that I see on there are quite positive, whether it's about the art or the meeples. Meeples are a big thing here. Um, or yeah, everyone the, fell uh, in love with those. <laughs> so was that a, a challenge for you, is to find a company that would be able to make custom cut meeples, or was it pretty easy to source? No, so far we've been pretty good. Um, it's good with our main manufacturer, um, and so we're pretty happy about that because so we can kind of keep it all under one roof without having to pull in from all these different places. Um, I think the biggest challenge was designing them so that, you know, we can avoid any breakage, right? So we have finding those, making sure that it's thick enough in some aspects, making sure there's no uh, crossing vertices. So like if there's a really sharp corner meets another sharp corner where it can create potentially that weak, we can link between the two uh, that might break more often than others. So that was the challenge of coming up with 15 different designs that looked like the creatures you wanted them represent, but at the same time uh, were dynamic enough to be really, really cool. And um, but yeah, everyone. Once we <laughs> announced that, well, part of it was we announced that. Um, I guess we didn't announce. We we launched with the idea that we were going to have, uh, in addition to the Sasquatch server, we were going to have three unique uh, cryptid servers that they that they, our backers would be able to choose from. And then once we got that fifth fifth player goal, we it turned into four unique um, cryptids. And so we ended up running yeah. a campaign or a, a voting contest, if you will, uh, that went out to all of our deluxe backers. And I basically showed them the 15 different designs that they'd be able to choose from. And, you know, ran this form for, I think, like four days. And everyone got to vote and decide on who it was. And it was really cool seeing people cheering for their one cryptid that they knew they had to have is like, you know, I'm team Mothman and I'm, I'm team Jersey devil and I'm team Jackalope. And it was really cool seeing people have so much interest in which, which meeple was going to end up being in the game. It was very, it was really awesome. It's a great side effect. Um, and then once we had our vote, uh, people had already beat me to the punch. They were asking if all of them were going to be available. <laughs> And yeah. we had already planned on announcing that on that Friday, once we announced which ones were going to be in the actual deluxe edition, that we were going to make them all available as a as a server pack add-on. And uh, yeah, that was the craziest day. If you go back and look at our kick track or our funding track, you'll see there's one day where we have very few backers, but we have a huge spike in sales. And that's because on that day, everyone was upgrading their their pledge to include the extra $15 for the server add-on pack. It was insane. It was a, it was a pretty cool spike. It was like, wow. And uh, we knew we had to have a certain amount of people buy them, and we blew past that. And so there's no fear of it you know, biting us in the end or anything like that. So it's it was cool. And then um, the next thing, obviously, everyone started going, well, what about um, screen printing them? <laughs> Of course. It seemed like they kept beating me to the punch about what I was going to announce next. And sure enough, yeah, we did. Yeah, we're doing screen prints. And everyone was like, yeah, we're doing screen prints. Yes. And so that was the next, that was like our, I think that was our second to last funding goal was getting all these things screen printed and, uh, or stretch goal, sorry. And um, 
yeah, it was cool. It was really cool that a lot of people had the same like-mindedness about what we could do to improve the game. And so, uh, yeah, it was just very symbiotic. It was awesome. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, that Cryptid Server Pack, if you take a look at it, you're getting it's $15 for 15 meeples, but there's three of each, so there's actually 45, which means they're getting these meeples at about 33 cents each, which is really cheap. So awesome yeah. that you could uh, include that at such a great price for them, and that obviously helped boost your yeah. campaign. And I'm sure anybody, um, one of the cool things about your campaign is that you probably have a certain amount of people who followed it early on and had no idea you were going to get all this stuff. So then when they get their 48-hour reminder, it's like, oh, wow, look at all that. That's been unlocked. Maybe I'll back it now. And that's kind of what you hope for is, did your game change between the day you launched it and the day they get that 48-hour reminder? And yours is going to be a good example of that, I think. Yeah, we dramatically changed between um, uh, the fifth player add-on, uh, you know, and actually, that's one of the things I have to actually do tonight before that 48-hour thing goes out is I've got to update the, the Kickstarter graphic to show, uh, you know, this has been upgraded, this has been upgraded, and I'm actually going to show all of the screen print designs for the first time tomorrow as far as all 15 of the of the servers rather than just, I think only we've only shown so far um, Mothman, Jersey Devil, Loch Ness, Wendigo, yeah, there you go. So I've only shown those four designs, so I'll actually be showing the rest of them tomorrow on the page, um, which is going to be really cool because I think that will really grab some attention. And, you know, like I said, we're going to do a little call out saying, yes, we've got upgraded boards and, you know, we've got upgraded cards and so forth. And so, um, yeah, that, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting how that 48-hour rush goes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's, it's just around the corner, and then you get to deal with all of the fun that happens after Kickstarter, which is a whole different ball game. But uh, I'm sure yeah. you've been through that before. Yeah, experience experience. As well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, maybe uh, looking at something outside of the game. You mentioned that you do have quite a few children. You have a, a happy family. What is it that you guys play that kind of um, generates these ideas in your brain to make games? Is there uh, go-to family game or type of game that you guys play uh so we have we have nine kids and so they span quite a range uh, we have our youngest is five and our oldest is 27 so um depending on who we're playing with you know it could be a wide variety of games so if i'm playing with the five-year-old and the and the, the nine-year-old it might be you know uh, oh, what is that one that just came out by ravensburgers Bugs really? in the Kitchen. I think it's Bugs oh. in the Kitchen. And it, it uses one of those little uh, hex bugs, and it sits there and vibrates around the board, and you're trying to get the bug to go into your cupboard or something like that. And it's a cute little game. Um, you know, not nothing too advanced, mechanically speaking, but it's cute, and the you know, five-year-old squeals when he plays it. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then um, the older kids, you know, we Scythe tends to be a big favorite with the older kids. We do that one a lot. Um, we just managed to get tiny towns and wingspan for Christmas. So that's been on the table quite a bit. And, um, the kids, the older kids got uh, Gloomhaven for me. So we'll be doing, we're going to be starting that up next month and start doing the Gloomhaven thing. And that'll be our monthly game that we kind of play with a set core set of kids. And I'm really looking forward to that. So our exposure is pretty varied. I mean, sometimes it's just a quick game of lanterns or Havana which is a, it's a cute little dice game uh, to see who's going to do what chore in the house based on whether or not they <laughs> lose. So it's yeah. pretty cool how involved it is. And um, yeah, I, it's, I've 
wanted to make sure that they got the same kind of exposure I got growing up. Yeah, it's great to have that gameplay diversity. I mean, I just got into uh, Tiny Towns for Christmas as well, and my wife and I just finished our fourth scenario for the Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. It was really neat how okay. that game, um, how they made a mini version of that game to learn it easier, and I can see why Gloomhaven was so successful. Uh, just the way that they manage your your hand and your abilities. Um, I think Isaac Childress, however you pronounce his name, did a fantastic yeah. job in designing the core combat mechanics of the game. So I think you'll have yeah. fun with that one. It's great. Yeah, I was a big D&D fan growing up, but uh, it's more of a time investment. I just don't have that. And I like the idea of just being able to have it prepackaged in a box for me so that I get, excuse me, so I get that same experience without having to, you know, have a weekly group or play with the same guys. Um, so I am looking forward to getting that, those feelings back. I know I've heard it. Some people are like, well, it's not true. D&D is kind of watered down. And I'm okay with that, actually. I think that's exactly what I need. Yeah, it's very story-light and combat-driven. So if you like yeah. the combat aspect of D&D, it'll be great. If you prefer the role-playing aspects, then it's not going to do anything for you. But it's still a cool <laughs> game. Um, so you must have something else on the horizon. Then I mean, Harry's Place, which turned into Cryptid Cafe, uh, is really cool to see. But I'm sure, uh, given your background in game uh, or uh, graphic design, all kinds of ideas must have floated to your head over the years. So what do you think is going to come next for Squatchy Games? Uh, we've got seven games in the works right now. Um, wow. Four of them are part of this, um, what we're calling the Playground series, um, as its working title right now. Uh, and that's basically reimagining games that kids play in the playground and bringing them into tabletop form uh, and then adding our own little twist visually. And I'm pretty excited about that one and not 100% committed whether that'll be the next Kickstarter or not. It could be the one that happens in the fall or it could be the one that happens in the spring. Uh, our goal is to release, uh, is to do two Kickstarters a year, uh, one in spring, one in the fall. Um, and with that we basically have the next two and a half years planned out it's just a matter of in development when one will be ready to actually hit the market versus you know if something else stalls so we're bouncing around between a few games um we do have those those playground games are a bit on the smaller side uh and i actually was thinking of doing them all in one kickstarter so like you can get all four games for this amount, or you can buy just one of them if you'd like. So I think that's kind of the approach we're going to go with that one. But we do mm-hmm. have a couple of larger games um, planned uh, on the horizon, which I'm very excited about. But and it's funny because Harry's Place, or not Harry's Place, Cryptic Cafe slash Harry's Place wasn't supposed to be our first game. It was supposed to be this other game that I was developing. But... Um, and you know, my son is actually the one who came up with the initial idea for Crypto Cafe, uh, and I liked it. And I was working this other game. He brought it to me, like, "Hey, that's got some potential." And so then, while I was working mine, I was helping him develop his this game and uh, produce it a bit further. And finally, it got to the point where I was like, "Okay, we're gonna press pause on this one, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go with your game, your initial game, and I'm just gonna take it, you know, push it the whole direction." So I kind of took it off of his lap and said, okay, here's where we're going to go. And it was funny because it was supposed to be a game serving real people, real people, real foods. And when I went to go start illustrating it, it was just, it was mind-numbing boring. I was like, this is <laughs> yeah. terrible. I don't want to draw these things. And, um, and I felt like I was limiting myself as if I was employed somewhere else, right, where I don't have that freedom to just 
go beyond anything I wanted to. And I finally said, you know what? We, we're making this. We can do whatever we want. There's no reality we have to be held to. There's no limits to our imagination. This is our thing. Why don't we explore it further? And uh, we, you know, dumped the human aspect. And we went, well, what about aliens in space? And, you know, is that kind of like a Jetsons kind of thing? And um, I believe, if I recall, Harry and the Hendersons happened to be on TV. And that kind of inspired it. Like, what if, you know, <laughs> Harry, after he was hanging out with the Hendersons, went back into the Rocky Mountains and decided to open a restaurant to serve the other Sasquatches and, and creatures. And that's how Harry's Place came about. Um, and then when we shut that down, we actually got a lot of uh, people in the cryptid uh, circles reaching out to us about how excited they were. And that got us exploring, well, let's explore this whole cryptid angle further. And wow, it just opened up the whole new world. So uh, I guess to go back to your original question, we do have the other games, this bigger one that we're working on, uh, I guess is where my tangent was, is Her Cryptid Cafe was much more feasible for me to illustrate. You know, it was like 15, yeah, yeah. 15 creatures, a couple of boards like that. And this other game would require me to do 180 custom card illustrations, in addition to like a full massive, you know, Lords of Water to size board. And then, um, yeah, it was just, it looked like a much bigger undertaking, especially for one person. So that's yeah, why yeah. we shelved it. And hopefully it'll be one of our, it'll be our first big game, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so I am looking forward to that one. And I suspect that will be our next spring game. And then we'll probably end up doing these playground games in the fall. We'll see how it goes. But um, the great thing about, funding with Crypto Cafe is that, you know, after we get all the manufacturing done, we're going to be able to use some of those funds to uh, offset the workload. Like I'm not going to be the only one that's going to sit there and have to illustrate everything. We could actually probably go out and hire people to do some of the illustrations and really speed up our um, turnaround times, which is really what we wanted to do in the first place, get funded um, and then be able to produce a great game, have people excited, uh, understand that we can deliver the game, and that is a great experience and just be excited for our next one. And then, like I said, use any extra funds to just kind of ramp up that process. Yeah, no, it's a, a perfect game plan. You, you build it and it does exactly what Kickstarter was originally meant to do. And that's to kickstart right. a company. And even though you probably continue to use Kickstarter for future games, uh, this, the original intent still took place. I mean, that $50,000 is going to make a big difference to uh, squatchy games i think plus whatever you get through the pledge manager or late, oh late for pledges. sure yeah for sure <laughs> awesome well maybe we'll wrap up with one more question and that'll be based on you as a first time kickstarter as you know, i mean you've been in, in business and different avenues for years but this is your first kickstarter what would you say is the thing that you learned that you had no idea before you came into this even though you probably did research of all kinds yeah I had the benefit because I'm an illustrator and graphic designer. I've actually worked on a lot of other people's games. Um, so I've done graphic design and illustration in, in that space. So that has been kind of nice to get that kind of pre-exposure uh, yeah. to what they've had to go through as far as like, okay, well, this is what's going into their page. And um, so it was nice kind of learning, uh, I guess the phrase is learning on someone else's dime, right? What they're doing, how they're approaching it and gaining those skills before we actually applied it to our own game. Even with all of that, exposure uh we still made plenty of mistakes and um uh, things i would do differently i would have gotten those faqs done i would have done how to play videos prior to launching i didn't have my how to play video up till a week later all i had were the animated gifs um 
the reviews, I'm still on the fence about would I release them all at once or would I you know, sprinkle them out over the entirety of the campaign. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, we didn't have any video reviews other than what we had previously done in Harry's place. Uh, I don't know if that hurt us or helped us. Um, so I'd be curious. I think, I think on a larger game, when you have like a larger price point, I can see yeah. how those be uh, the thing that might tip you over to one side of the fence or the other. Our price point for what you're getting is pretty manageable, right? It's not a, I don't feel like we have this huge risk of what we're taking. Um, I think reviews have helped. Like, you know, we had, we were lucky to be, you know, Tom Bassel's um, uh, crowd surfing pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was awesome. Um, thanks for actually, you, you actually, it was you that pointed that out. So that was awesome to see that. Yeah. I love watching his crowd surfing video and not so much for Tabat games, but I loved seeing the three different people's opinions when they come across games and visuals and just kind of how they interpret it. So it was really cool. And I was watching it earlier this week. Cryptic Cafe came up on their radar because they only look at games that are within a week of ending. And so um, they, they scroll through your campaign and they give good and negative feedback. You know, this looks like a light family game. I don't know if it's for me, one person would say, but then the other person would say, oh, I think I'd love playing this with my kids. And you can tell it's a great independent game designer. So it's just cool to see that feedback when you're always thinking about your next campaign. Uh, and so I was excited for you when it became Tom Bassel's pick of the week and how they, all three of them really did like what they saw. And I think that was great to share with you. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I was, I was like, in a, I was actually picking a pizza and I was like watching it in the parking. I'm like, this is amazing. This is the coolest <laughs> thing. I mean, it's just weird. It's like you sit here and watch these dice tower videos and you, in or glory hound and, or, and you just, you see all of them from the outside and it's weird to have your product now be talked about. It's kind of surreal to be, you know, to flip it from, from viewer to actual content. And that's been, that's been an adjustment. That's been crazy having people reach out and want to do interviews. And, um, like I was just on a toy fair interview, uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That was crazy. That was neat to be part of. Um, so it's been interesting, uh, Whereas you, in, the, in the past, you're like, oh, I want to reach out to them, trying to get exposure, kind of exposure. And now it's kind of like it's reached this apex where it's getting the exposure for me. And now everyone's coming to you, which is much nicer. It's much easier that way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Chip, I, I do appreciate you spending some time with me today. It was great to talk about uh, Cryptid Cafe and the original game Harry's Place and where you're going with Squatchy Games. I think there's a terrific future ahead of you for the game design field. And uh, I'm excited to see where your game actually finishes off. I mean, at 49,000 right now with uh, over 48 hours to go. So a few more days, I'll try to launch this before that window is up. And maybe some of these listeners will take a look and give you some support as well. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, excited for this 40 hour push. Having because the last time, you know, it, obviously we weren't expecting anything from it, but you know, this time we got well over 2,500 followers of the Kickstarter page, um, and I think our conversion right now is 17%. So I'll be curious to see what kind of jump we can expect. You know, is it another 5%? Is it another 10%? You know, what's that standard? And you know, do we exceed it or fall short of it? So it's gonna be interesting to see how that last 48 hours shakes out. Awesome. Well, have fun with that to make sure you get a little bit of sleep and then uh, I'm sure <laughs> right. we'll talk soon. Take care, okay. Chip. Thank you so much.